the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, September 30th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show we'll be looking back on a good week for the Irish economy on a number of fronts. After six years of austerity, how is it that Ireland is now the fastest growing economy in the EU? Is the recent bounce back in retail sales sustainable? And does the government's proposed €27 billion Euro capital plan go far enough? To help me tease out the answers to these questions is Arthur Beasley, Economics Editor of the Irish Times, Economist Jim Parr and Mark Paul, Business Affairs Correspondent of of the Irish Times. Jim, just picking up on that theme, it's been a good week in terms of economic indicators. The year SRI predicted, uh, is predicting growth in the Irish economy at 6%. Davies putting it at 6.5%. Unemployment declined to 9.4%. And retail sales grew year on year to 9.3%, uh, by 9.3% in August. Uh, we seem to have gone from zero to hero almost in the blink of an eye. And uh, it's it's... It's an interesting journey that we've travelled uh, since coming out of the bailout at the end of uh, 2013. How have we managed this amazing turnaround? Yeah, well, I, th- I think that there's nothing terribly surprising about the strong data we've seen in the past week, which has been very strong. But for anybody who sits and observes Irish economic data releases for the last 18 months, almost every single economic indicator has been positive and has generally surprised on the upside. So there's very much, you know, an economic, at least a statistical mm. growth story. Now, it did take building. a while for the retail sales to take off. It, it did indeed. And, and that was, I think the last time I spoke to you, I was talking about the fragility of the consumer sector because up until a couple of months ago, okay, retail sales, the headline numbers were growing strongly, but two trends were emerging. One, it was totally dominated by car sales. And when you strip car sales out, um, the underlying pitch was much weaker. And secondly, there was this divergence between value and volume growth in retail sales, suggesting that retailers shifting stock, but they had very little pricing power, so pressure on retailer margins. But over the last couple of months, that is starting to change. You know, the, the value of growth is starting to pick up um, and excluding car sales, it's starting to pick up. I mean, I, I think, OK, policymakers here will take a lot of credit for what's going on. Um, But the reality is that Ireland has been hit by three incredibly favourable external factors. Just as after 2007, we were hit with a perfect storm in a negative sense. Over the last couple of years, three external factors totally outside of our control have made a huge contribution. One, um, the US and the UK economies have certainly been the strongest growing economies in the developed world. And Ireland has a much greater real economic and business exposure to those economies than within the euro area. That's number one. Number two, we've seen a very significant decline in the value of the euro against the dollar Mm. and particularly against sterling. So that has benefited Ireland disproportionately, given that we do more more of our trade with non-euro countries. And the third factor, oil prices. You know, they're down almost 53% in the last 12 months. So those three external factors have certainly fed into um, the, the domestic economy and create a very positive momentum. Arthur, you've been writing about the ESRI analysis um, this week and in spite of all of this positivity, the ESRI is actually urging the government to come in with a neutral budget next month. In other words, uh, no tax cuts. Um, why so? 
That's the view in the SRI. Now, they would acknowledge that uh, the chosen course, which is an expansion of up to mm. one and a half billion, uh, isn't uh, particularly dangerous at this point. They would say that given the mistakes made in the past and given that the government is still running a deficit, that it's important not to uh, go overboard. Now, for all that, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the government is, is going to ignore the ESRI. There is no prospect at all that on budget day in a couple of weeks that Michael Newton and Brendan Howell are going to stand up Especially and not in an election year. Absolutely not. An election might only be weeks away if there is to be a November election. So, I mean, I think it's a, the ESRI is predictably cautious, but the reality is that an expansionary, a modestly expansionary budget is on the way. And a, essentially the ESRI are the only ones at this point saying they, in, in, a, in any loud way that the government shouldn't go down this road. There's no evidence of any concern at the level of the... Uh, Brussels institutions at the level of the ECB, at the level of the IMF. Indeed, the Fiscal Advisory Council, which only one year ago urged the government to proceed with a two billion retrenchment in the face of a one billion budgetary expansion, the Fiscal Advisory Council has essentially given its blessing to the government to go on in this way. Right. Jim, did ESRI not have a point, uh, given that we're still running a deficit? Um, shouldn't we balance the books first before we talk about tax cuts? Well, yes, just statistically, you know, when you see in the first half of the year, GDP expanded by just under 7% year on year. So clearly, it's an economy growing very strongly from a statistical perspective. And by implementing a $1.5 billion fiscal stimulus package, it is definitely very pro-cyclical. But I think you need to delve into the growth numbers. Um, if, if you look at, I suppose, two components of the economy. The SME sector, small and medium enterprises, still a very, very challenging environment. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Pricing power is still uh, very tight. Access to credit is very tight, you know, and business costs are still a big issue. So that's one sector I'd have concerns about. The second sector is um, a large segment of the personal sector, you know, isn't really feeling the recovery at this stage. I suppose it's the old cliched squeeze middle um, and if if you consider, you know, some of the tax statistics back in 2006, we had just under two million people working in the economy. They paid about 12 billion in income tax, accounting for about 27 percent of the total tax take. This year, we will have just under two million people working in the economy. They will pay over 18 billion in income tax. It will account for over 42 percent of the total tax take. That explains the squeeze middle. And within that 42% of thereabouts of, ta- of workers don't, are not in the tax net. So the burden of the tax adjustment has fallen very heavily on the shoulders of middle-income workers. And I, and I think politically and economically, there is some imperative to make to translate the statistical recovery into something more meaningful in people's pockets. So I, I think a $1.5 billion fiscal stimulus package is totally appropriate, provided it is directed in the right way. Okay, we'll talk about that in a few moments. But Mark Paul, you've been looking at the retail sales figures that are just out uh, for August. And in terms of volume, we were up 9.3%. In terms of value, we were up 5.6%. And drill down into those numbers for us. Which sectors are doing particularly well at the minute? Well, the sectors that are are doing the best um, are sectors that are linked to the growing property market. So um, um, furniture sales um, are up and uh, 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 kind of um, those sort of big ticket items. DIY. DIY, yeah. Now, now the, the, the the CSO figures don't drill down into DIY and garden centres and stuff like that, but the Retail Excellence Ireland figures do, um, and which are almost as up to date, and they come directly from from material that comes directly from the tills of retailers. Um, so garden centre sales are 
those are up. DIY, furniture and flooring. Um, um, but interestingly as well, um, um, looking at the, the, the Retail Excellence Ireland figures, um, ladies' fashion was up 6%, but menswear was up 14%. So um, men are back out shopping as well. Jewellery sales were up. The only ones that were down were, um, were IT sales um, and because it's, it, it's seen that, you know, uh, there's a sort of a saturation point there. I mean, everyone's got an iPad or an iPhone, don't they? And now maybe the new iPhone 6 will have an impact on that. Um, and also certain brown goods sales, but that's because the period under comparison uh, was a World Cup year last year, uh, televisions and so on. Um, also as well, bar sales have improved. and bar that's, in, that's interesting because the narrative from the industry is that because of the high taxes being imposed in Ireland, that really bar sales are, are, are just very tough and you know a lot of uh, rural pubs are closing we're given frequent statistics about how many clubs, uh, pubs are closing each week across Ireland well bars have had an absolutely brilliant summer um, um, sales were up uh, in August uh, uh, over 6% in July they were up over 10% they were up over 6% in June um, but it seems to be driven by tourism rather than by driven dri- 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 driven by tourism if you talk to publicans um, um, they'll tell you that city centre pubs are doing very very well and then the next best category is suburban pubs which are starting to do quite well um, um, rural pubs aren't doing as well, obviously, um, but rural pubs in tourist locations uh, are doing very well. So, I mean, it's the it's the, the, the it's the weakness of the euro versus sterling and the dollar, which is bringing in lots of tourists and uh, and tourists, of course, uh, love the Irish pub. It's one of the single biggest attractions of the country. There is another dimension here, which is, as Jim mentioned, the, the drop in the price of oil, which essentially means that it costs a good deal less these days to uh, fill up the tank. And that's the equivalent of a pay rise, really, because it's money that would otherwise be sent spent in a filling uh, station that's in someone's pocket. It's the equivalent of a pay rise or indeed an interest rate cut on your mortgage or whatever. And it, this is real money. And for people who are accustomed to filling the tank every week, um, who who drive, uh, drive a lot, they're saving quite a lot of money at this point and that is money which goes into disposable uh, the disposable pot that people have and they're more inclined to spend it. Mm-hmm. But there's also as well it's, it's feeding into the results of individual retail companies now as well. I mean there was the story of, um, of Harvey Norman which sells electrical goods and furniture um, and they recently they had a, a Balthazar of champagne that's 12 litres of champagne sitting in their office and they said they would only open it after they had their first uh, consolidated quarter of net profit growth which they just had and they just knocked the top off that bottle of champagne. Um, Avoca Handweed luxury goods, a company that's actually for sale at the moment, about to be bought by Aramark, a US giant. Um, its profits are up 70%. Um, so uh, Inditex, um, which owns Zara, Stradivarius, Massimo Duty, um, its uh, latest Irish results uh, show sales up across the board. So retail is doing quite well. Absolutely. Now. And we've seen a vote of confidence in Irish retail this week, haven't we, uh, Jim, with the, the sale of the Project Jewel portfolio by NAMA to Hammerson, a UK property company, and Allianz. Uh, a very big German financial services group, which is also a, a pension fund, uh, mm. effectively, investor. And they paid 1.85 billion euro for Dundrum, a half share in the Islac, a half share in Pavilions. And that site on O'Connell Street that Joe Riley and Chartered Land accumulated uh, some years ago, it's about five acres or, or so. And that's a big vote of confidence in Irish retail yeah, going forward. It, it certainly is because, you know, those investors are looking at projections for the Irish economy. Um, and they're both long-term investors. And they're both long-term investors. And, and they see, you know, the, the potential for strong growth here in the medium term, provided nothing goes wrong externally. So they're buying into that story. And um, it's, it's, it is indicative of the much better climate that now exists out there. And if you look at what's likely to happen over the next couple of years, barring someone foreseen external, event, but the labour market is going to continue to improve, we're going to continue to create employment, the unemployment rate is going to come down, we're already starting to see 
earnings growth in the economy. And on top of that, we're looking at, you know, a, a reasonable injection of um, fiscal stimulus into the economy this October. And I suspect um, if the current government is re-elected, um, it is going to lay out a five-year plan for gradual reductions in the personal tax burden. Um, and, and indeed, whoever gets into government, I think that's likely to be the scenario you're going to look at. So if you buy into all of that stuff, um, investors are, are now starting to look much more favourably on what is a very cheap Irish market at the moment. And Arthur, to help grease the wheels of this uh, growing economy, the government this week announced a, a £27 billion Euro capital plan, which you've written about in the Irish Times. Uh, they've been accused of electioneering by the opposition, predictably enough, I suppose, but they've also been accused of rehashing some previous announcements, like, for example, the Lewis uh, Cross City project, which has been underway since, I think, 2013. Anyway, um, I can, what's I your... Can, I can hear the drills as we speak <laughs> outside. Indeed. Well, what's your view on it? And, and does it go far enough? They've also been accused of ignoring a lot of really important projects. I mean, the Dart Underground, for example, has been scrapped. Well, look, at I mean, the, the, there's not a huge amount that is new. Uh, as far back as April in the Stability Programme Update, which is a document the government is obliged to send to Brussels every year, the government said it'll be spending £3.67 or whatever on capital expenditure next year and a, little bit more, or, and a little bit more than that in 2017. And the increases ab- over and above those amounts already committed to only a few months ago, are really, really quite modest. I suppose what this is about is setting a framework for the continued uh, investment of capital into the economy in the years ahead and essentially about sending a message out that, look, the economy is in recovery right now and that there is now scope for the Irish state to begin investing again. But when you look at the figures... They are really quite modest, and it's only at the tail end of the, of the project that you do see big increases in capital expenditure coming into play. And I make the point today in an item in the paper that the type of capex set out for 2021, still six years away, would bring capital expenditure in the Irish economy only back to the level seen in 2002. Jim, Metro North, which is one of the big ticket items in this plan, yeah. uh, construction won't begin not even in the next parliament, but the one after 2021 that. 2021. 2021, it's quite extraordinary. Well, the good thing about that is by the time it comes on track, I'll probably have free travel. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by that. I mean, p- people have criticised the notion of running a rail link out to the airport. Uh, I think it's necessary. Um, every modern capital city in the world virtually has a rail link into the city centre. And I think what's more appealing about this is that it's not just a city centre airport link. Um, it's going to link out beyond into swords where there's a lot of land that can be developed for house building. So I, I think this is the first time really we've seen um, a transport infrastructure mm. being put in place to accommodate where people are going to be living in the future. But we've lost the dart underground. Does that really matter? Well, I, I, doesn't I, I it matter in terms of linking Houston to Connolly for people coming into Houston from the country? I, from I think there are bigger priorities and I, and I would see the airport link as a much bigger priority than an underground dart. And, and as, as Arthur said, you know, we're still talking about relatively tiny amounts of money being spent on CapEx uh, given where we've come from. It, d- it demonstrates so quite how constrained we are still. It does, you it know, does indeed. Even, even with, you know, stellar growth levels, even with tax revenues coming back in, even with things uh, improving very rapidly, it does show you that the state is still very heavily burdened. In 2008, uh, when the state was in a position to spend nine billion on capital expenditure, mm. the uh, cost of servicing the national debt was two billion. The cost of servicing the national debt now 
is eight billion yeah. in a single year, and that means that there simply isn't spare money to go around. And this flows from political decisions because the government has decided to cut income tax. It has decided to increase day-to-day expenditure, and in that scenario, what's left for capex is really quite modest. But I, I would also challenge the cynics out there, you know, on the various aspects of the capital investment program. If you look at where the money is being spent in areas like health, education, uh, transport. It's very difficult to argue against any of that stuff. You know, we need it to improve the long-term growth potential of the economy. Mm. Obviously, um, it'd be great if we could spend a lot more money in those areas. But I, I, I think it's it's a good program. It may be rehashing a lot of stuff that was already mm. pre-announced. But so what? You know, putting it all together in a framework um, that can be delivered over the next five years or put in place over the next five years, mm. I think is a good idea. There is an argument that too much of it is focused on Dublin. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose there was one, one, one element of it that I felt is sadly missing is the link between Limerick and Cork. Um, that is an absolutely dreadful road. They're two important regional cities. So I, I think that would have been a very valuable piece of infrastructure to put in place. But, you know, the choice was made not to do that. Um, and I suppose if you look at last week, or yeah, it was during the ploughing match, the government launched its programme for rural economic development, uh, which was a bit of a joke, quite frankly. So there's definitely an element of, um, you know, the greater Dublin area sure. is getting the bulk of it. But listen, the greater Dublin area is where over 40% of Irish economic activity takes place. It's where over 40% of the Irish population lives. So obviously, um, there's going to be more investment in there. Yeah, sure. Mark, you follow the retail scene quite closely. Have you any sense of retail developments coming down the track? Obviously, we have these two from Project Jewel that potentially could be developed out uh, over the next number of years. The five-acre site on O'Connell Street, bounded by Moore Street, and also uh, Dundrum Phase 2. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting as well to see what sort of a development um, 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 comes out of Cleary's. Um, obviously, Deirdre Foley and Natrium of all clearies, they haven't. Um, they've given broad brush details on on, on on the plans, but they haven't even filed a planning application yet. But that's I mean, that's going to be quite controversial, isn't it? It's is going to be quite controversial. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a location and a, and a name and a story that's controversial in, in any event mm. because of what's happened over the summer. But but it's 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 right in the centre of, of of Ireland's main street. And of course, we have a change of ownership in Arnott's. We do have a change of ownership in Arnott's as well. Um, um, Noel Smith's consortium consortium um, um, has uh, taken control, and you can also see the lessons there learned from the Cleary's debacle um, um, in the way that they shut um, Boyers um, um, and they, uh, they, they, they've done it in a very friendly, warm and cuddly sort of a way um, and uh, well, I mean, I mean uh, certainly friendlier and warmer and cuddlier than Cleary's did it um, and, and, and they've learned the lessons there that you know, these are, uh, you know, retail is still something that, 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 you know, goes right to the emotional heart of a consumer, you know I mean, I mean they, they, they become attached to, 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 to retail brands and, uh, and, and Cleary's just showed what happened when you do it incorrectly. And, and if, that, I mean, if you talk about Boris, you talk about Leary's, this is exactly in that part of town in which the two Lewis lines are going to eventually mm. connect. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole sector of the community there that's going to be able to go directly into O'Connell Street mm. that, uh, that have been stopping heretofore at St. Stephen's Green. So the value of those retail sites in, our, in and around the Lewis line is going to go right up. And, 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 and look at that site also. That was uh, one of Joe O'Reilly's sites that, that, that now we're just recently selling the loans on. That's an entire totally new retail corridor there just off O'Connell Street out the back of the, the old Carlton Cinema there. So that, that whole area of Dublin is up for a revamp. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. 
Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. Jim, the elephant in the room, I guess, is housing. Um, there's a chronic shortage of housing, particularly mm. in Dublin. We have these new uh, mortgage uh, rules uh, from the Central Bank, which seem to be holding back lending, um, or make it much more difficult for first-time buyers, uh, certainly in the Dublin area. How are we going to solve that problem? Yeah, I, I, one of the stories that hasn't really been written about um, over the last couple of years is the fact that we have just come out of, at least up to 2006, one of the biggest, sorry, the biggest house building boom that has been seen in any developed country um, in recent history. You know, we were building over 93,000 houses in 2006, and yet here we are um, a few short years down the road, and suddenly we're talking about housing shortages. It just shows the abject failure of Irish housing policy up to 2006, 2007. We were building lots of houses, but there were the wrong houses in the wrong places. Um, clearly, I, I think the central bank um, restrictions were 100% correct. That is the role of the central bank to ensure that the banks lend in a prudent way and that they have some resilience to cope with any sort of shock that might occur. So I think putting lending restrictions in place is correct. Obviously, there are negative side effects. First-time buyers are finding it more difficult to get on the housing ladder. They're being pushed into a rental market that's pretty dysfunctional at the moment, and they're also being pushed out into the broader commuter belt again. But it's, that's not the central bank's problem. That's government's problem, and it's up to government now to, as aggressively as possible, ensure that houses are built where they're required, where the demand exists. That's the only way you can solve this housing crisis, in my view, supply. Arthur, social housing is, is part of the, the capital plan, but uh, any sense is there any initiatives that the government can take or will take in the budget well, that well, might I, help to increase the flow of housing well, for the general I, market? I, I had a story in the paper uh, yesterday uh, saying that within the government, in discussions in the lead-up to the budget, there is some talk around the possibility of developers who uh, build houses up to a particular price level, perhaps €300,000, in parts of the country in which there is a shortage of supply, namely Dublin and other urban in parts of the country, uh, that those developers would essentially receive a waiver on the levies they must pay to local authorities. Now, that presents a problem somewhere else because those local authorities are looking for money. And the debate at the moment centres around local authorities being able to come up with alternative sources of money or those local authorities getting money from Alan Kelly, which uh, the, the Environment Minister, which he might redirect from other parts of his own budget or indeed from maybe a small increase in the budget uh, which goes into the Department of Environment. But we're talking small amounts of money that are available, and the sense is that uh, a waiver of as much as €100 million Euro might be required in order to stimulate activity at the level of the starter home. And this feeds into the debate started by Alan Kelly around the notion of uh, rent caps being introduced. The sense I have is that the Department of Finance is holding out the rent cap as a quid pro quo for action at the level of the Department of Environment to stimulate activity at the starter home level. All right. Jim, are we in danger of going back to the uh, bad old days by um, letting developers off the hook in terms of uh, levies, effectively giving them a tax break, if you like? 
Well, if you accept that we need to build more houses quickly, if you accept that there was a report from the SRI last week pointing out the shortage of office accommodation for multinationals coming into the country. So if you accept that we need to build to um, address those two problems, uh, we need somebody to do it. There are developers out there um, who are not in a position to develop at the moment for a variety of reasons. You know, may- maybe it's access to credit and the economics of house building doesn't really stack up at the moment. So you need to do whatever it takes um, to make sure houses are delivered where they're required. We- no, no, just just picking up on the point that Jim just made there um, um, about the, the economics of house building. I mean, I mean, Davy um, um, in a recent report um, called for reductions in the wages of building workers, which is something that's going to be incredibly difficult to deliver in the current environment. Um, and who's going to? Who, who's you know? Are, I mean, are, are construction workers going to take more pay cuts because you know houses essentially at the moment they still cost more? I think, uh, or, or a lot of construction costs more to actually do than than, than you'll get for it in the market. And, and and how how can a government in this current political environment push? through in some way, shape or form pay cuts for construction workers, it's going to be very, very difficult to do. I don't see see that as a possibility at this point. I really don't because it's actually a a competitive market and and, one has written stories in recent months around the the shortage of construction workers. But but, but, but then then how do you bring down the cost of building? How do you bring down the cost of building? You can bring down either the cost of materials or you can bring down the cost of labour to try and get the economics of house building back into a... Surely is a factor too. Yes, it, it is indeed. And that's, you know, the one of the topics that's been around the place for the last few years, a vacant site levy. I mean, you, I th- you, also, you also have a, a cohort of developers, if they're still in business, who, uh, who became accustomed in the boom times to super normal profits. And uh, I mean, you know, those, those kind of super normal profits might well be available at the very top of the Irish property market now. But I mean, super, no- super normal profitability is simply not going to be a feature of the regular property market. But, 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 exactly. but if, you, if you look yeah. at the comments of some of the financial companies that have bought into the property market in recent times, like Kennedy Wilson, for example, was, was the first one to call the, the, the bounce back in retail. They said in December 2013 that last year will be the year of retail assets. Everybody thought they were mad. Turns out they were right. And um, they said that the cost of or the profits that can be made from developing brownfield sites, that's sites that are already half dug up or whatever, um, and that the... the, the, the the, the, the profitability still isn't there to develop those sites um, and that they need either the land costs and, and property costs to come up or, 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 or the costs of developing those brownfield sites to come down. So they're still focused on, on, uh, on, on, on prime investment sites and so on. Um, it's, and a, it's a pretty depressing picture, isn't it? Particularly if you're, if you're trying to get on the ladder, the property ladder as a first-time yeah. buyer, to be told basically by the industry that well, there isn't enough money in it for us. Well, there, there just isn't. And if you look at the, the cost of delivering a house in Dublin at the moment, um, it just doesn't make sense to do so. Uh, and I've looked at the figures and uh, it doesn't seem to make sense. So if you have market failure, which we have at the moment, um, government needs to step in and try and address that market failure. And whatever government does, you know, it'll be seen as a sop to developers and so on. But if it, de- if it delivers um, housing supply where it's required, it's going to solve a problem. So perhaps we should be looking at, you know, the VAT rate. Um, we saw the impact that the reduction in the VAT rate had in the tourism and accommodation sector. Um, perhaps something like that should be looked at. They, they, we need to make sure that the economics of building houses makes it worthwhile to build houses because if the economics don't stack up, the houses won't be built and three or four years' time we'll be sitting here 
having the same discussion except that it'll have got a hell of a lot worse in the meanwhile. But to go back to go back to the, the central bank rules, we cannot have a return of a situation where you have runaway house prices and uh, exactly. the, the, and uh, wages and salaries chasing those runaway yes, house prices. It's, it's because mad. that's complete yeah. insanity at, yeah. at an economic level and leads only to disaster as we know. As we know. Yeah, you need to control demand mm. and the mortgage rules do that and you need to make sure that there's enough supply in the market to meet the demand that's out there. And that's the only way you can prevent a very damaging escalation in house prices again. Okay, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Jim Power, Arthur Beasley and Mark Paul for their contributions. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to the Business Today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next week, take care.